Welcome to the Procurement Show. Hello and welcome to the Procurement Show, the show that tackles the topics we all need to think about and sets out to explore the more interesting bits of procurement. I'm Jonathan O'Brien. And I'm Paul Philpott. My role here is to ask the questions and basically put Jonathan O'Brien on the spot as often as possible. The Procurement Show is brought to you by Positive Purchasing, enabling the future of procurement in organizations around the globe. This week we're talking about negotiating remotely, something everybody needs to do right now. All right then, my first question. This sitting on the end of a Zoom call, negotiating remotely, isn't it something we should have been doing long before now? Probably is, but nobody really kind of grasped doing that. So yes, negotiating remotely via a Zoom call could also be via phone, even via text. I've done negotiations over text before, which are kind of bizarre. And we know we're doing those every day when we're negotiating with loved ones. We don't call it that. We're kind of... We best not go there. (laughs) But they are mini negotiations. You know, you send each other a text and there's a little negotiation going on in there. But actually what COVID has done is it's forced organisations to have people remotely who need to negotiate. So whereas before we would come together face to face, we would meet in person and we would be able to see the whites of their eyes, suddenly we don't have that option. And we're probably not going to have that option anytime soon because even when travel restrictions um, are lifted, even when we are able to come close with other people again, organizations are not going to rush to restore travel budgets. We're going to be working remotely for most of the future now. So this is something we need to embrace. And we've had the technology to do this for many years, but people don't like it. People have shied away from it. Perhaps you've been on one of these Zoom calls where you're on a Zoom call and you've turned your webcam on and nobody else does. And you've got all these little boxes. Then you can't backtrack, can you? Hard to backtrack. And that's just like a phone call. But, you know, it's through Zoom and you've got a little black box. And then then you perhaps mention it and they say, oh, I've got a broadband problem or my dog's just died and I can't turn my webcam on. You get these kind of excuses for why people don't want to engage. So what exactly do we mean then by the term remote negotiation? Is that actually a term? It is a term. And it's a term for when we're not physically present. We're not sat across the table looking them in the eye being able to do the negotiation. Now, remember that the reason this is such a big thing is when we negotiate, a lot of the things that we pick up on are based on body language. 55% of communication is by reading body language. 38% is our voice, our tone, our inflection, the words we say and how we say them. And just 7% is down to the actual words themselves. So there's a massive amount of communication that is associated with body language and being able to read it. Skilled negotiators rely on body language. Okay, you mentioned whites of the eyes. Obviously, if you're on a Zoom call, you can see the whites of the eyes. Being able to or being not able to, is it a good or a bad thing? In each of those scenarios. To see the whites of their eyes. It definitely is if you understand how body language works. And you need a bit of training on this because it's not something that people naturally get. You know, people say, oh, well, if you're folding your arms, that must mean you're closed. Well, not necessarily. It depends. It might mean you're cold or you're nervous or you're just more comfortable like that. So the things that people do isn't about reading body language. It's about looking for different changes in their behavior. It's about calibrating what they do when they're comfortable. Then 
in the heat of a negotiation when you're pushing your opponent to that new place and they're uncomfortable and they begin to show some little signs of distress it's picking up on those signals because that's sort of intelligence it's also picking up on things that tell you that they are lying but we don't use that term in a negotiation we call it bluffing because that's more socially acceptable mm -hmm. it's picking up on those things so body language is the thing that gives us the real intelligence about how we're doing in terms of moving our opponent to a position because remember we don't know what good looks like most of the time when we negotiate we just know that we want to get it a bit more than it is today. So the use of remote negotiation then, is this all down to COVID-19, do you think? Or would you say there are other factors at play, but have now only come into play with COVID-19 being the excuse? Yeah, COVID-19, it is an excuse, but it's also the thing that's accelerated this because it's forced employers, companies, people to think, how do I do this remotely? So we've been working with many organisations around the globe for the last 20 years and doing training remotely, helping them negotiate remotely is something that we have been working to do since 2009. The problem is many organizations have just resisted that because it's uncomfortable. You need new skills to be able to negotiate remotely. Being able to be comfortable looking down the lens of a camera, of a webcam, and negotiate and drive the technology and stay in control is a whole new skill set that few have. Can I jump in there? Because you mentioned a lot about body language and it's just sinking in. Sometimes on a Zoom call, I don't want to turn on my webcam. You touched on that earlier. Or you're negotiating, as you mentioned, via text or you're negotiating over the phone. What difference does that make when you haven't got that visual element of body language? Makes a big difference. And companies are realizing this. We're seeing or we're hearing the phrase, we're a cameras on company. So as organizations have their entire teams working through Zoom, Microsoft Teams, Skype, they're starting to say cameras on. You can't be at home with your camera off doing something else, but you're kind of, you've got your black screen there cameras on we need to see you because that gives that vital body language bit so when we negotiate one of the ground rules we need to insist on is that cameras on don't let the opponent give you an excuse for not having the camera on in fact prior to the negotiation set it up that we're going to do this we're going to use this technology platform and we are all going to have our cameras on do you agree and if they don't play that game pause it, ask to come back and do it another time when they can fix the technology issues. A lot of negotiations all about building good relationships, good human relationships. What impact do you think this is having on human relationships and how do we go about building them and using them as an important playing point in negotiation? A key point to the negotiation is doing just that. It's building the relationship with the other party. Remember, in procurement, sales teams do this to us. They will connect with us make us their friends, they will build rapport with us. They are trained to do those things and they do it at a subconscious level if they are good at doing it. So one of the things I teach people to do in procurement is to try and build rapport with the seller, to do the same things that the seller is doing to us when we negotiate. And that's in a physical setting, that's about eye contact, it's about mirroring body language, it's about mirroring the types of language patterns that they use it's about understanding how they're visualizing the world, if they're visual thinkers, audio thinkers, 
or if they tend to feel the world. Those things we can understand very quickly who somebody is if we're trained, and we can use specific language that gets the other person. So a trained negotiator knows how to build rapport. What we need to do is take the time to build rapport with the other party, build a bit of a relationship with them, take time to get to know them on that call before we get to the actual negotiation itself. Because not only does that build rapport and get into their subconscious, it gives us vital information to calibrate their body language. The Procurement Show. Exploring the more interesting bits about procurement. And now, the procurement fun fact. This edition's exciting tale of preposterous procurement, bizarre buying, or simply saucy sourcing. This week's procurement fun fact is taken from the book by Peter Smith called Bad Buying. How organisations waste billions through failures, frauds, and general F-ups. If you haven't got a copy of this book, it's highly recommended. And you can get one through Penguin Business Books. In 2018, the UK government was preparing for a no-deal Brexit. So it approached ferry companies and asked them to bid to provide additional freight shipping capacity. One of the companies who they contracted with was a new company called Seaborne Freight, who proposed to run a freight-only service between Ramsgate in Kent and Ostend in Belgium. However, it turned out Seaborne didn't own a single ferry, not even an inflatable dinghy. Within the bid process, Seaborne were required to show detailed business plans, plans for procuring vessels and contracts for the use of ports. The contract was terminated in 2019 when the contractual requirements could not be met. And in a bizarre twist that ended up in paying Eurotunnel £33 million because they challenged why they were not invited to bid for this contract. Then, Eurotunnel's competitors complained that this was unfair and looked like state aid, and so the government had to pay out more money. In total, the government paid another £50 million to these other companies to cancel the original contracts with them. The Procurement Fun Fact Contact us by email, hello at theprocurementshow.com Send us a tweet at Procurement Show or connect with us on LinkedIn. Search for The Procurement Show. In your books, you enjoy talking about negotiation and procurement within real-world contexts, and you often talk about different cultures. So does remote negotiation work the same for different cultures? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's working to a greater or lesser degree. So recently, I've got quite a bit of experience doing some work with a Japanese group, and there is a struggle to want to use the technology because it's countercultural. because in eastern middle eastern societies the relationship is key and same across many parts of southern europe southern america as well it's about the relationship we have the relationship is more important than anything else actually the deal will get done if the relationship is good in northern europe north america australia Those types of countries, it's about the deal and the relationship is secondary. So for the relationship-based countries and cultures, the ability to negotiate remotely is further hindered by that need to get to know the other person and trust them before a deal can be done. 
There's another basic point about time zones as well. I mean, because it's easier to do a transatlantic, you know, we call it a transatlantic link back in the day, and negotiate remotely. It almost kind of like, it means, you know, you may well be in a situation where you're up at two o'clock in the morning and you're negotiating with somebody because their time zone is opposite to you. It's a bit negative for you, isn't it? Doesn't it put you on the back seat a bit? Not at all. And you've got to embrace this stuff because if you want to get the deal, you've got to kind of set yourself up to do that. Remember, China has become one of the biggest economies on the planet because they figured out how to negotiate with the Western world. And we need to figure out how to negotiate with our opponent. If that means that we need to be up at two o'clock in the morning doing it, then we need to be up at two o'clock in the morning with lots of coffee and lots of Red Bull to keep us alert. But that's what we need to do. Do you think it'll get to the stage where certain departments actually have shift workers? Well, I think negotiation is one of these things that's not necessarily a day-in, day-out activity. Procurement will be building up to a particular deal, and there'll be a series of events that happen that build up to that particular deal. So it will mean that team, those individuals, are perhaps planning for a series of events that are going to be done at unusual hours. And that's quite normal. We're doing a lot of training around the world. It's quite normal for us to be training a team in Japan early in the morning or working with a team on the west coast of America late at night. It's fair to say we're probably enjoying the convenience of all of this use of technology. Do you think we'll ever return to doing things face-to-face? I think there will be, for negotiation, there will be a return to -to face-to-face, but not to the degree we do it today, for the simple reason that companies have recognised that they can be more efficient by having people working more remotely. And also, remember, our suppliers are going to be more spread out, networks of talent. So we will be organised so we are remotely, and the need to travel will just not be there. The impact of travel on the planet will be too great for us to bear, and organisations won't want to pay for that because they won't need to pay for that. So I think it will be some return to -to face-to-face, but actually remote negotiation is here to stay. You're no stranger of being in front of a camera, are you, Jonathan? Let's face it. (laughs) One or two. Yeah, exactly. What do you prefer? What would you prefer? Well, personally, I like face-to-face. I've done face-to-face, but I've been trained to be able to do broadcasting. And those of you that know me will know that I'm a former broadcaster that ended up in procurement. Yeah, you got an unfair advantage there. Well, I'm using it to my advantage. (laughs) But there are skills there we all need because if we're going to be good at remote negotiation, we can do it by phone, we can do it by text, we can do it by email. And there are skills that we can learn to do those things. So, for example, when we negotiate by phone, it's not letting the silence overwhelm us because one of the things that kills negotiations or negotiators who are not skilled when they're doing a phone interview is the silence because the silence is very uncomfortable. And just those few seconds there, everybody listening to this has thought, what's happened? And it completely changes how it works and makes people want to feel that. So control of pace, using silence to your advantage and being able to take your time to respond is key. For email negotiations, and a lot of that is happening, remember email is asynchronous. So we send something to the other party. At some point, it will come back to us. Perhaps you've had these situations where somebody sent you an email that's really made you angry. And the tendency is, right, okay, I'm going to reply to that person. And you start typing away and you type a response that you really shouldn't send. Now, I've done a few of those in my time. And I've learnt to 
not send it until the morning. And to just you're gonna have buy to, that time. You're going to have to go into more detail. I'm not telling you any more than that. <laughs> but what I have done is the following morning, when I committed to myself I was going to press the send button, I've reread it and I thought, there is no way I can send this missile. Let me just tone this down. And, you know, the best thing I ever did was learn not to press the send button when I'm angry. So those are skills we can learn. But when we're using negotiation with video, when we're using Zoom or Skype or Microsoft Teams, that is the preferred media because we can have a degree of body language. And if we're negotiating, then what we need to do is learn to be a television presenter. So we need to learn to have our webcam in front of us, not down there on our laptop so we're looking down, not over to one side so we're looking at one side. We need to become a television presenter that looks down the barrel of the lens of our webcam and talks to the other person builds rapport with the other person. What that means is where we're seeing the other person on our screen and the gallery of faces, we can't be looking at that, nor can we be looking at our notes or other things. We need to be completely focused on communicating with the other person. So how do we negotiate? Well, what we do is we have a team. So we have other people on the call whose job it is to watch the room, to watch our opponents. And there, right by our webcam, we have our mobile phone or an iPad with a messaging app. And we have our colleagues messaging us. So we're looking at the camera using our peripheral vision. We can see the messages from our colleagues right below the camera. And we've got our colleague giving us indications of what they're picking up on. Perhaps they're queuing us with data, things we need to ask. They're managing the agenda. But we are just doing the piece to camera. And we're using the team to watch the room and to give us the cues to negotiate. It's time to Ask Jonathan. And this week's Ask Jonathan comes from Hannah Wright, who has emailed us to ask, in your latest negotiation book, you mentioned the decoy tactic. Can you explain exactly how this tactic works? Thank you, Hannah. The decoy tactic is a beautiful tactic if you execute it really well. Essentially, it's about finding a small thing, a small thing that doesn't really matter to you, but making it a really big thing. Introducing it as a big, almost showstopper right at the start of the negotiation, then you park it and then you come back to it at the end and you use it to trade. But really, you're not trading anything because it's of no value to you. So recently I was trying to buy a car and having the conversation with the salesperson, one of the things I said was, I really want this to be the latest generation hybrid. And he said, oh, I'm really sorry, we can't do that right now. We can't get them. There's all these problems, but we can sell you this other thing. And so actually the other thing was just fine, but I used that as the decoy. I said, well, okay, that could be a showstopper because I really wanted the next generation hybrid. What can you do? And he said, I'm really sorry, we just can't get that for at least six to nine months. It's not going to happen, but we can sell you this other thing. So I kept on making a big deal of what I wanted there. And I said, okay, let's just put that to one side. Let's talk about the overall deal. And as we got closer to the end of the deal, I was able to use the fact that they couldn't satisfy my fundamental requirement for the particular type of hybrid, I used that as a negotiation chip and managed to get additional concessions because they believed I would walk away if they couldn't satisfy that. And actually, I was prepared to do the deal, but they just didn't know it. So that's the decoy. A brilliant tactic. You've just got to set it up right at the start of the negotiation. And if you have a question that you'd like to put to Jonathan, don't forget to email it in. Ask Jonathan 
email your question to jonathan at theprocurementshow.com. You might be part of the next show. But when you are the focus of the negotiation and you've got the webcam on you, you'll naturally have those people who are extroverts. But you're saying that the skills behind having the camera directly pointing at you can actually be taught, they can be learned? They certainly can be learned. And this is about being able to connect with the camera and imagine that when you're looking down that lens, you're talking to a loved one, to your mum, to your partner, to somebody who's close to you, and you're just having a conversation with them. And if you can begin to do that, you're beginning to connect because actually even down a webcam, even on a Zoom call, you can really connect with the other person. You can nod as they're talking to you. You can mirror their body language a bit because remember, you'll see them with your peripheral vision. You're not looking at them, you're looking at the camera but you can begin to connect with them. And that is so powerful because it puts you in the position of control. It makes you the person that is leading that call. You're not off to one side or, um, or, or looking away because you're trying to figure out why your laptop's doing something funny. And of course, the bonus behind all of this is you can do it without any trousers on. Well, and I have done that. Uh, well, yes. <laughs> Does, I don't doubt that for one second. But don't stand up. No. You're listening to The Procurement Show. Don't forget, if you have any questions, anything that you'd like us to raise as a topic of conversation, don't forget to get in touch. You've been listening to The Procurement Show. Contact us by email, hello at theprocurementshow.com. Connect with us on LinkedIn, search for The Procurement Show, and on Twitter, at Procurement Show. Visit us at theprocurementshow.com. Ready to get the show on the road? Yep. Ready to make a start? Let's go. Warm us up, right? I want yeah. to ask you a question. Film titles with procurement related film titles. Film titles yeah. with procurement yeah. related titles. That's a hard one. There's a lot of films out there. You know, you used to do when we on the radio, you, you replace a word with them. Um, Back in the day. Yeah. What, like, buy hard? <laughs> Is that what you were thinking? <laughs> yeah. Of? Buy yeah. hard. Just like that, or oh, buy okay. another day. I wish you'd give me some notice on this. Actually. Buy another day. Buy another day. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, got that like yeah. that. How about. Um, Honey, I shrunk the bids. <laughs> okay. Uh, drag me to sell. No. <laughs> no. Okay. How about Bridge Over the River by? Oh, do you know what? I was just thinking I wrote that down as well. That's really good. Got there first. Um, all right, then. Hang on. Three men who stare at quotes. <laughs> <laughs> right. I got one. Procurehontis. <laughs> <laughs> Risky business. No. Well, it is. No, no. The the negotiator. Yes. Yes. Hang on, wasn't that actually a film? <laughs> no, it was the Terminator. Oh, yes. Yeah, the negotiator. You yeah. see what I did there? Yeah. The negotiator. Yes, you got the sequel, haven't you? And building on that, <laughs> Batner to the Future. Oh. Let's start recording. Okay, I'm in a flow now. Um, oh, no. Please stop. Live and let by. <laughs> No time to buy, if we're going with the James Bond theme. Yes, 12 angry buyers. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a pretty normal day in procurement, really. Um, Up, but just because that's what you want the savings to do. Yeah, up, yeah. And Schindler's shortlist of suppliers. No. Have you got any more? No, I can't read. I can't read that. The Buying King. That's very good. You just started to be clever now. Razor? No. Okay, we'll stop there. <laughs> yeah. The Procurement Show is brought to you by Positive Purchasing, enabling the future of procurement in organizations around the globe. Copyright Positive Purchasing, all rights reserved. Produced by Fresh Air Studios.